Hello, welcome to It's Her Game. A shout out to all the amazing women in the gaming industry, no matter if it's mobile, PC, console, or esports. My name is Dominika Schott, and my goal here is to introduce you to those inspiring heroines of the gaming world. If you want to find out more about the podcast, make sure you check Facebook page It's Her Game or connect with me on Twitter at Dominika Lodash Schott, spelling D O M I N I K A. Low-S-Z-O-T. Also, don't forget to subscribe. And now, let's start. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in this week. Um, personally, I'm really excited about this episode. I've been waiting for that for a while. Um, actually, since I met uh, Gabe, it's because Gabe Elvery, um, they are a PhD researcher at the University of Glasgow, where they study games, in particular, parasocial relationships in fantasy games. Um, so hi, Gabe. Can you tell us something more? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm looking at um, something I call the digital fantastic, so the fantasy video games mainly. And I work with the Games and Gaming Lab at the University of Glasgow and also the Fantasy Centre. Um, which has just kind of started up there. I believe that to study games is like the highest level of career accomplishment a true gamer can reach. <laughs> uh, so can you tell us something more? How did you end up doing what you're doing right now? So honestly, really, I had no idea that I'd be able to do anything like this. <laughs> so, <laughs> I didn't know that game studies existed and I'm the first in my family to go this far in higher education. So it didn't really seem like a viable career option. Um, I kind of I started out doing an English literature degree, but the whole time I was studying it, I kept kind of gravitating towards analyzing video games and fantasy and things like that. Um, then after my, like, so yeah, I never felt like I fit in with the literature classes, even mm -hmm. though I was quite good at it. Um, and then after that, I wasn't really sure what to do, but like I taught in high school for a while because I wanted to keep learning and I really did like teaching. Uh, so I put my degree to use there. And then when I was teaching, I happened to hear about the fantasy master's program in Glasgow and it was the first one, uh, which was so cool. Uh, and I felt like... Um, It just seemed right, so I ended up going up to Glasgow <laughs> and doing fantasy literature. And I still, I still felt like a bit out of place. But then a class started that my now supervisor Matthew Sangster um, started up, and it was called Fantasy Across Media, where you look at different kinds of fantasy across different forms. And we had a week. Uh, that was video games and I did a presentation and it finally felt like things clicked into place. <laughs> um, so there wasn't really like a game studies course or anything, uh, but there is um, a really nice game studies community that my other supervisor, Matthew Barr, and his um, other student, um, Alicia, started out with a game studies reading group and I help organize that now. Um, so with that and the Games and Gaming Lab, we kind of have a bit more of a community of practice for game studies and there's game studies course is popping up around in higher education now um, but it hasn't been it's kind of quite a new thing um, so it was really kind of about finding my own way and finding people that believed in my project so I'm really lucky in that respect 
Yes, absolutely. Uh, once we, once you actually um, reached me that you would be interested in participating and supporting my project, um, I re- I believe I uh, messaged you instantly that I'm super excited to get to know more about you and you know pick up your brain and get to know everything. Yeah, it's hard to get into. Um, so it really is. It's easier to know the right people now because we have so much stuff coming up online, mm-hmm. um, so people can be more connected and find resources but when I started um, like doing my English degree I didn't have the language or know about the discipline or know what it was that I needed to research to get into it um, so it was really lucky that I kind of found really supportive people in Glasgow um, exactly yeah so um, I, I'm glad we have a chance to talk so we can put some more light on the PhD programs for gaming and uh, make our listeners more familiar with the whole existence of this path because I'm not sure that many people know like you've mentioned that it, it, it exists. exists and we yeah. want more people <laughs> to come <laughs> and join us so yeah it's really a case of uh, doing a lot of your own research and when you're applying for PhDs you kind of identify people in the subject area that might be interested to work with you and kind of send out that sounds emails. really exciting so what exactly are you studying for your phd now uh, so as I said i'm looking at fantasy video games in particular but fantasy can be defined really really broadly so it's anything that diverges from kind of mimetic or more realistic representations of reality so i'm interested in games as well that have made a really big impact on fan communities so things like animal crossing and hades and undertale and i'm interested in why people get so invested in fictional characters and why video games in particular encourage those feelings like maybe more than books do or movies because they're they're a bit more interactive so you have probably plenty materials to to study uh like considering the past um experience of people with uh with the pandemic and with uh the growth of gaming in general yeah um i've done a um a little blog post actually for the games and gaming lab which was about animal crossing and how people are using that during the pandemic to kind of um get a bit more social interaction both with the neighbors in the villages and with each other because it's a multiplayer game that one as well um and it's kind of providing a bit of a simulation of what we might want a more normal life to look like Um, and providing people with a bit of kind of stability. So An- Animal Crossing New Horizons has been a really uh, a really popular one at the moment. Animal Crossing is a really interesting example, um, somehow also as Roblox probably is, since they both are like the, well, the simulations of very nice, cheerful life. Can you share something more about your Animal Crossing studies? It's just like such a nice a nice environment for people to kind of go into because you you get to do things that are maybe considered work so you can work on your house and work on your garden and you can try and make money but it's all at very much at your own pace apart from um tom nook who's on your back (laughs) because you're you're in debt to him which is a slightly kind of uh dystopian capitalist element (laughs) 
yeah. <laughs> in the game, but um, people are using it as a form of self-expression. So decorating their islands and bringing their friends over because, I mean, it's not like you can have friends over to your, your flat anymore. That's about the, your uh, research by far. And what in particular are you focusing on right now? Um, so what I'm looking at, Uh, broadly uh, for my topic is um, I'm trying to define what the digital fantastic is so that's a concept I'm currently fleshing out which is it's an application of a piece of fantasy theory by a scholar called Todorov um, who rather than looking at fantasy as world building looked at something called the fantastic which was hesitation so it's like moments in a book for example where you can't really um, attribute what's happening to something that's supernatural or something that's normal about the world or to kind of the character's mind state so to, to relate that to games what I'm particularly interested in is how video games kind of blur the on and off screen binary so there are moments when we're playing games or interacting with technology when we might forget even for just a moment that we're taking part in something fictional mm -hmm. so I'm interested in kind of how and why we feel such strong emotions for fictional people and considering how this might affect us in our daily lives so I think kind of studying how we interact with like people in games can tell us something about how we think about friendship or romance or connection in our lives in general. So to sum up, it's kind of the parasocial relationships, right? I can bet on that. Yeah. So that's kind of my, there's kind of different elements to it, but that's my focus at the moment. It was a challenge for me to embrace this topic at first, uh, once you've picked that up, that you're studying parasocial relationships. But actually, after I started to um, dig deeper, uh, well, I realized that I've been deeply engaged in a few of them myself. <laughs> um, I, I think that uh, life is strange is a good example in my case. Yeah. <laughs> who, who, who's, who's your favorite in Life is Strange then? Um, I think that the story with the girl who who um, wanted to report that she was raped and, you know, you had to make this decision whether you want her to um, wait and to uh, collect more evidence or uh, report directly to the police. I think that this story was like very touching for me because I felt like you really like have to decide about someone's life, you know, and I forgot that this is this is just the virtual reality because I started to think about, you know, the uh, woman's situation in the in the society, etc. And it was like the catalyst of so many um, thoughts in my head that it actually effectively blurred the line between the real life and, uh, and the virtual reality, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it, it happens all the time. So this isn't something that was kind of... Um started with video games so basically to kind of just explain it a bit um parasocial interaction was a term coined by the researchers horton and wall uh, it was in the 50s so 1956 and what they did was they identified that particular types of television programs um like uh like Uh, personality programs uh, where the presenters would talk like directly to the audience seem to create something similar to like an intimate relationship with audience members so sometimes viewers would even talk back to the characters on the screen like they were friends like I don't know if you've kind of like yelled at the TV like when you're watching horror like don't go down there yeah <laughs> 
We all know that. Yeah, we do. It's like, why don't they listen to us? The thing is, in video games, a lot of the time they will listen to us, Mm -hmm. um, which is why it's interesting to bring this concept into game studies. And people are starting to to do that. Um, And there have kind of been some broad articles about it in general. And I'm kind of interested in applications in like particular games and like what the games are doing, like how they're making this. And even if with that moment of hesitation... Um, where we where we forget whether it's actually doing something a bit more than like a TV show. Yeah, we have their fates in our hands, right? Yeah, it's a lot of responsibility. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, which which games are you focusing on right now? Um, so, there's kind of uh, there's kind of like a few. Um, I think. It's really interesting to look at ones that are making like quite a big impact or ones that people talk about. So, for example, The Witch is a really interesting one because everyone has an opinion on kind of <laughs> his behavior or like which of the witches that he should be with. <laughs> and it's, it's interesting because, I mean, we're getting something out of that interaction ourselves um, through the play. But at the same time, we're also it's facilitating these broader conversations about relationships and about what is and isn't acceptable and things like that. And when you're when you're talking about kind of fantasy or fictional people, it kind of takes a bit of the pressure off. So mm-hmm. people can feel a bit more comfortable with expressing their opinions about things, which is interesting too. Yeah, that's um, actually like... Um somehow distancing yourself from your own opinion, right? Putting it in the safe environment of discussing someone else's life, let's say. Yeah, yeah, totally. So it's a bit more divorced um, from mm-hmm. our lives. Uh, but I guess it's also to it's also really important that we remember how kind of vital media literacy is as well. Because these kind of safe places, these these spaces that are divorced from us, they're they're still kind of a product that people have made, and they're still a kind of a constructed fantasy. And it's important to consider what they're saying as well. So we can take really good things from games, but we also have to remember to kind of be critical of of the media that we're consuming, like we would over kind of a book or anything else, and kind of analyze what what they're doing too. Mm, yes, and you've mentioned The Witcher, which is our AAA game. So do you think the inclination to fall for a game character can be somehow cor- correlated with the advancement of the character design um, or is it totally unrelated? Yeah, so I think um, it's a lot to do. It is to do with character design, but maybe not in the way that we might think. Um, so you have games like The Witcher or Heavy Rain where the characters like look more realistic, but I think it's more to do with how the character feels rather than looks. So there's loads of really low-budget, cool indie games um, with characters that have been really popular with fandom, so like um, Undertale, for example. Um, and there's a really interesting book by Scott McLeod about comics about how we might actually feel things for more simple or cartoony characters because they're simple so we can identify with them so it's it's yeah it's less about the characters don't need to look realistic or look like humans <laughs> they just mm-hmm. need to they need to feel realistic uh, when we interact with them I think 
It's really interesting. And um, from your uh, research, do people tend to fall more for human characters or fantastic characters? Like Don't. dragons, animals, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I think it depends. So like um, when the characters are kind of sentient and speak, I guess it doesn't really matter what form they come in because the fantasy elements work together with kind of more realistic things so that when we talk to a dragon or we talk to a cat person like a Khajiit for example in um, Skyrim mm -hmm. <laughs> like we can interact with them like any other person so um, but also like the ones that don't talk so pets are also very important uh, there was obviously that big like can you pet the dog meme like we need to be able to pet the animals yeah <laughs> it's very important exactly i think it's the case of fallout and the um Bla blair witch project and you know that uh, i need this dog i need to pet him <laughs> and you're actually protecting protecting him more than you would protect yourself in the game yes and also like virtual pets landlords really like them <laughs> <laughs> totally <laughs> agree totally <laughs> And you don't need to wake up in the morning to go out with the dog, even if it's raining, you know. <laughs> stay inside, unless unless it's a Pokemon Go pet, in which case True. you have to take it for a walk. <laughs> yeah. But I think that parents should, you know, bless the developers for Pokemon Go, because this is like the great exercise for children to understand what responsibility it is to have an, have an animal. You yeah, know? exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. like, there's people saying that when um, Pokemon Go came out, it was the closest we ever got to world peace, <laughs> because yeah. everyone was going out for walks together and um exactly yeah it's so nice <laughs> yeah, it, it was like huge change huge shift in terms of the way people engage with the um, uh, mobile um entertainment and um, artificial uh, sorry and augmented reality as well that was great yeah, to and observe. also it's like a great excuse for people to they're using the app well when we could um meet up to socialize and things and it mm -hmm. made it less awkward because you know you had a reason for going out and doing these um working together and doing the raids and things like that absolutely i guess i guess that's really interesting what you touch on here that the games are kind of the safe ground for people to um inter interact with each other even um sometimes in the well social groups that normally in the well let's call it real life but it's you know uh, not applicable in uh, anymore considering how much online is real <laughs> Need a new word. Yeah, exactly, exactly. We need a new, we need a new word. But you know, people offline, let's say, uh, they probably wouldn't have a chance to even meet. And um, in the games, they can become friends. That's really interesting, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really interesting. So, I mean, I mean, I think media in general um, is a way of getting some form of social interaction, like through parasocial relationships and video games. They just they are they are a media that does things on so many levels. Um, so you you can have this kind of lower level social interaction with non-player characters where you're kind of testing boundaries and seeing what works and seeing how they'll react to you and you can reload if it goes wrong. The stakes are really low. But then you also have these like massive communities built up around online games and even in like the casual games and apps and things like that where you're getting, you know, actual social interaction. And I feel like 
the way things have shifted now, um, people are understanding that, you know, the internet and technology, like it's not this big, big bad thing that we need to panic about. It's facilitating connection. It's not taking away from it. Yes, and um, adding to that, the players can also decide um, to what extent they want to interact, right? So they, they, if they don't feel like they don't need to show themselves like on the video or something, they can just type or they can just talk. I think it's also very important because it makes games more inclusive for, uh, for wider audience, basically. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, so many people um, suffer with social anxiety and things like that, mm -hmm. that these kinds of platforms uh, can really facilitate different kinds of connection and connections where people feel comfortable and people feel in control as well, which is really nice. Is there like a difference between the game genres? Which of them make players more prone to engage themselves in parasocial relationships? Yeah, it does depend. So the ones that I'm looking at in particular are more narrative driven and character driven. Um, but so I feel like you have to play in an engaged mode where you're kind of um, letting the game work and do its thing so for example if you if you did a speed run you're probably not going to make very many parasocial relationships because you're kind of skipping over <laughs> all of the characters and things like that however um if um if something looks cute or if a person takes a liking to it you can you can have a parasocial relationship with most things i think like, true if you look at the fandoms um Yeah. that sometimes a lot of it can be so sometimes the game itself will be the reason that we have these parasocial relationships and parasocial interaction because we find it so engaging but sometimes also uh, fans will kind of uh, take something small use it as inspiration and then come up with these amazing characters and and plots and different things so that's another way of engaging it is kind of using it as a jumping off point for kind of creativity and things like that. Um, so, yeah, I'd say like narrative ones are more likely, but you can really, um, if, you, if, if you're imaginative enough and like something enough, you can make friends with anything you like, I suppose. Yes, absolutely. This this is really good point actually because it can be you know from the um, like living animal through games to uh, even I don't know uh, bugs or places in which you are. So it's like we can attribute emotions as a human being to pr practically everything. I believe. <laughs> yeah, like there was um, people talking about the design of the the companion cube in Portal and uh, how people really bonded with mm -hmm. that <laughs> because they felt like they had to the save yeah. it and rescue it. And <laughs> yeah, so you'll see. Yeah, <laughs> That's a great example to, to support this, this thesis of ours. <laughs> and um, what is the power distribution in such relationships, the parasocial relationships? Is it more like friends, lovers, alter ego of a player, or maybe master and subject? Um, so I think uh, like it does depend on the narrative of the game and like what the game is trying to get you to do and how much autonomy you have and how immersed you feel. Um, but I would say that kind of the, the power dynamics of parasocial relationships are really a lot less dangerous um, than 
some of the power dynamics in relationships in general or parasocial relationships with actual people. So, for example, um, like you can have a parasocial relationship with a YouTuber or an internet personality, right? So you kind of think that you know them really well and maybe you even exchange comments with them, but actually uh, you don't necessarily know them. It's kind of like a persona um, that they're wearing to kind of entertain you. And it, it might be kind of benevolent, but with video games, there's kind of not really an ulterior motive unless it's part of the plot. So the video game characters are kind of responding to you just the way they were coded. Um, but yeah, it's not all the same either. So you might play different games for different reasons. So if you fancy romance, you might play like Dragon Age or a dating simulator. Mm-hmm. Or if you want to make friends, you might play Animal Crossing. But then there's also games like The Sims <laughs> or um, <laughs> Black and White, where you can feel like, you know, more in control and, and have a bit more power. Um depends on your mood i suppose definitely definitely and uh, why do you think is it important to investigate um this topic um so i think any investigation in video games in general is really important and media literacy because there's kind of this big moral panic and people thought that all games were bad or detracting from real life or making people less social and we know that it's not the case now Um, so, but we still should kind of apply our critical thinking to the media to understand what we're doing. Um, and in, with regard to like parasocial relationships, understanding how they work can help us understand like relationships in general. Um, but I also do wonder if there's kind of industry application for some of the techniques I'm looking at. So maybe this kind of thing can help make us make even more engaging video game characters and kind of elevate the relationships in video games so that they're doing even more for the player. Like that's kind of interesting as well, I think. Yeah. And what would you like to explore after your thesis is completed then? Ah, well, um, I I really do love teaching. (laughs) So (laughs) I'd, I'd love to kind of contribute to building game studies as a kind of a discipline in higher education, but that's a bit ambitious. So, like, uh, I'd like to teach a course about it at least. Um, but for my research, I'm kind of interested into branching out into interpersonal interaction and multiplayer games. So interested in kind of how playing uh, fantasy video games like with other people and things like creating long-term role-play characters can be an exercise in identity construction. So kind of how people find themselves. Uh, in the digital world and how that kind of follows them off screen and kind of bleeds into their everyday lives and stuff like that. I think it's really much needed um, to connect your area of studies to later observe people's behavior. So I wish you to uh, have a chance to work on that. And also, I think that it's not too ambitious for you to um, teach people how uh, regarding the game studies, because don't forget that you were the one to, you know, make the way for yourself in game studies when they didn't even exist. So I guess you're the right person to teach them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, there's, there's definitely... As I said, like I've joined a really great community that are already starting uh, to to do that and make it a bigger thing. So I'd love to, you know, just be a part of it and kind of spread the spread the word about game studies and show people Absolutely. that it's an option, you know. 
Absolutely. Um, do you have uh, maybe on your mind any um, names of the universities where the game study courses um, take place now? Um, so I know that, um, so there's really lots and lots of different things uh, with game studies because you have um, so many different elements to it that it's hard to list them off because you have people that do game design and development and game studies can be a part of that. Um, but you also have, I mean, any discipline you put your mind to, you can make it game studies. So there's people that are studying history and looking at like Assassin's Creed games and things like that. Um, you've got people looking at, you know, the Kerbal Space Program and thinking about how that relates to physics and things. Um, so yeah, it really, it really does depend. Um, I know there's stuff popping up as well around, um, I think at my uni old university Warwick, they're starting to teach some writing stuff uh, with video mm -hmm. games, which is very cool. But I'm always happy to kind of, you know, give people advice or point them in the, in the direction if they want to tweet me. <laughs> I'm happy. Awesome. Can, can you, can you give your Twitter name then? So if anyone is um, up for, for some advices, they could reach you there. Sure. So it's um, digifantastic. And then I also have a website, which is digital-fantastic.com. Yes, uh, highly recommended. I sunk in it at, the, at some point. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh, I've also got a research narrative blog that I do there yeah. as well. So that kind of looks into connections between like the the private and the personal and linking academia with everyday life and things like that. Awesome. And what is the name of the magazine that you're in charge of? Ah, so yeah, I'm also um, a vice editor at Press Start Journal. Um, and that's a really great place to start if you're interested in game studies, because it's it's a specifically a student journal. So we help people through the peer review process. Uh, so you can sign up as a peer reviewer or submit to us, or just reading it will kind of help you get more situated in the field. And we also have a Facebook group um, where we're happy to kind of help people and point them in the right direction. Um, so these are kind of really valuable places to be. Definitely. And um, I really like the uh, format of your um, of, of the press uh, in general, because um, Correct me if I if I'm wrong, but each issue is dedicated to certain area of game um, research, game uh, development, game well, well, games in general. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we have uh, two kind of types of issues. So we have special issues. So the the last one we did was Walking Simulator um, special issue, and we've also got a, a special issue called Digital Heroisms coming up, which is more fantasy based. Um, and then we have kind of like the rolling call for papers. So um, whatever people happen to kind of submit that is like really good um, and we'll polish that up and make that into an issue. So there's kind of general ones and then also the, the special issues too, which is really exciting. <laughs> Great. So what would be your advice to a girl who would like to start her career in game-related um, studies? Um, so I'd say... Um, like follow your interest in whatever capacity you can. So uh, like we said, there's more game studies related courses popping up around in higher education now. Um, but there's a lot of us that kind of aren't connected to them. So you have to be quite a self-starter and motivated to do games because you kind of have to, well, I had to anyway, um, like if you can find a good course, you might be more lucky, but just build a foundation yourself. Um, 
so like we were saying like a good place to start are these like online scholarly interesting groups or journals um there's also a really good magazine called uh, first person scholar to look at which is kind of um, a middle state publication so it's not like um quite as formal as some academic um papers but yeah it's a really a really good place to start um and yeah i'm always happy to talk to people about research and careers as well Thank you, Gabe. Thank you for your time, for being here. And um, I really feel like I uh, haven't asked so many questions. So I hope we could do the follow-up episode at some point in the future. <laughs> That'd be great. Thank you so much for having me. It's been nice to chat. Thank you. Thank you for being here today. No matter where in the world or at what point of your career stage you are. I'm truly curious about what this podcast brings to you today. Was it a spark of inspiration for your next project? A much-needed kick to send this one more application for a dreams job position? Or maybe we simply had a chance to accompany you in your morning coffee routine? Connect with me via email or on Twitter and share your thoughts. Make sure you also like It's Her Game page on Facebook and follow the Instagram account It's Her Game, Low Dash Podcast, for exclusive content and to make sure you won't miss the next episode. Have a wonderful day. Bye!